Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Bridget Legault leads the Rainforest Alberta movement in Calgary as the community manager and also serves the startup community through strategy and growth consulting services. She is passionate about growing the tech sector upon a culture of trust, diversity and collaboration and activates this work through strategic ecosystem initiatives, learning experiences, storytelling and community engagement. Let's get right to Bridget's conversation with April Hickey. Bridget, the mic is yours. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Libby podcast, Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas, where we feature innovators from all over the province of Alberta. My name is Bridget Legault, and I am the community manager with Rainforest Alberta, and I am thrilled to be launching a bit of a series on the Libby podcast on women in Alberta tech. We are going to be having really honest conversations through this series around what women are facing in the tech sector in Alberta and likely more specifically in the Calgary region. So today I am thrilled that the first of our series where we will be hosting April Hickey of Toast. So welcome, April. Hi. Thanks for having me, Bridget. I'm so excited to be here. I am thrilled to have you. Toast is everywhere nowadays, and I can't wait to highlight the work you're doing and and highlight you know what experiences you're encountering with women in the tech sector but i thought we would start with really early days for april we on this podcast we often like to you know focus on the individual Mm -hmm. themselves so i'm really curious april what tell us a bit about your background your life story all the way back from you know even even being a young girl what what was life like for april Oh, goodness. Well, I was born and raised in Cornwall, Ontario. My grandparents settled there years and and years ago. My grandpa was a little bit of a pioneer of the town of Cornwall. And, you know, my mom was second youngest of 10 kids. And so I have quite a few cousins and grew up with a pretty awesome bouncy family down there. I did get diagnosed very young with ADHD. And so I found growing up, that was definitely something that I had to navigate. Now I like to call it my superpower. And I think there's a lot of stigma that's now gone or at least reduced around neurodiversity. But that definitely drove a lot of, you know, the decisions that I made growing up in terms of you know, where I surrounded myself with, I tried to blend in often with others, but I knew that A, I loved solving problems and, and you know, getting deep into puzzles and problems people typically wouldn't, would run away from are things that I genuinely enjoy trying to solve. And so I knew I wanted to do something different. And like most women that I find, find themselves in positions like mine as an entrepreneur or co-founder, often I was told I was very bossy when I was young. So I have two siblings and any time that we played school. I was the teacher, of course. And as the (laughs) oldest, I made a lot of the rules growing up, which was great. Strong leadership skills from a very young age. And I, I found myself, I knew that I didn't want, you know, a very typical 
role. And so I kind of gravitated towards working more with people. I really, I love people. I love learning about people. I love vulnerability and building psychological safety. And so I actually did my undergrad in HR. Oddly enough, Bridget, I I truly felt that I would go, I, I was really interested in labor relations specifically. And I thought I would go fight the man one day and work for QP. And then instead, I ended up working for the man. So I, <laughs> I, I spent a good five years at WestJet doing multiple things in WestJet. I worked on the change team as we implemented a work from home model for the call center. Mm. During my time at WestJet, truthfully, I never thought that I would leave WestJet. I loved my travel benefits so much, but instead I just married a pilot, took his travel benefits and then <laughs> it worked. <laughs> that works. Yeah, it worked out really well for me that way. And um, I found my niche in virtual work in working in the call center at WestJet. Again, this is, you know, back in 2012, 2013, before we had proven that presence does not equal productivity. And it was a little bit pioneering that virtual work model. And and at the time, PwC was actually launching a virtual admin model. And so they had, um, mo- they were looking to model what had already been successfully done in the UK and in the States. And so I made the jump over to PwC, having never heard of the big fours or never really worked in corporate at that time. I was very deep into aviation. And uh, I launched the BA program in the West, which was really exciting. That role was very unique in that I had a lot of FaceTime with partners, you know, these seemingly very important people within the organization that I got to build really great relationships with. And so with those relationships, I was actually tapped on the shoulder to launch PwC Ventures, which is now known as PwC Product and Technology. And that was my first forte into tech. And so I went over as the operations manager and... um Bridget, I was in so far over my head as a woman in tech who had no idea what I was doing. There was oftentimes I'd be Googling, okay, what is a senior solution architect? <laughs> like, what is, what does a product manager do? I don't understand what these things were. So I think I was higher number, God, maybe number 13 at the time. It was very interesting times. We were trying to get essentially a startup off the ground within a hundred year old audit firm, which presented its own unique sets of challenges. Of course, you know, we talk about risk or independence and I was hiring a lot of people. Um, I had garnered myself the nickname of the sheriff because everyone thought it was like the wild west and I'd have to stop everyone. Wait, 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 we can't do that yet. Like (laughs) we got to go through risk. We got to go through independence. We were hiring a lot of people from startups. So it was fun. It was a great learning experience, but it was really my first you know, eye-opening experience that there weren't a lot of women in tech. It was very male-dominated, had a lot of diversity. Um, and I mean, that was truly my my first real feeling of, okay, this is this is what the industry looks like. From there, I went and did some consulting at PwC. I moved over to the Workforce of the Future team. And after leaving there, I went to ATB Financial, where I was the director of digital product operations and stood up that practice at ATB Financial, which was really fun. And then, you know, I got to a point where I I felt that corporate wasn't suiting me. And I also truly felt, and I know you and I have had conversations about this on other days, but I felt that the, the systems in which we operate in corporate Canada are not set up for mothers either. 
And, you know, having come back from my second mat leave while I was in consulting and navigating the pandemic and starting a new job and everything really compounded and forced me to walk away from that role last year. And at that time, my co-founder, Marissa, had asked me about this idea that she had for Toast. And, you know, we kind of talked about it and, and bounced it back and forth and, you know, decided maybe this is it. I think... I, you know, when I left ATB, I thought maybe I'll go back to PwC. It's really comfortable. I built a strong brand there. People know right. me there. I, I knew what I was doing. Maybe I'll go back there. But I'm really glad I took the risk. And I was like, you know what? Let's jump into entrepreneurship. And then here I am, Bridget. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fantastic story. Okay. So prior to getting into Toast, what is Toast and how, you know, why did it all come about? I'd like to rewind a little bit. It was in PwC because I'm curious. I'm just always really curious on women's journey, especially through um, through corporate. What did what led to that transition from when you were working with the VA services group over to the the more technical group? Why that transition, or or what do you think? You know, did they seek out? Did they seek you out to move into that role, and for what reason? I'm just I'm I'm curious. Yeah, I had a really great sponsor within the organization, and she is the epitome of we lift as we rise. And so she had actually moved over into that team and reached back and pulled me up with her, which was exactly what we should be doing for other women. And so she was like, listen, we got this cool opportunity to try something brand new within this organization. Neither of us have any idea what we're doing, but we'll be able to do it together and lean on each other. And I, and you'll learn a little bit more about me, Bridget. I am not very, I will take risks. I quite enjoy taking risks. So I figured <laughs> let's try something. I mean, even before going to PwC to launch the VA team, I understood virtual work, but I'd never been an admin assistant before in my life. I had no idea what, what that looked like. I didn't know what the day-to-day looked like in that role. And so I think a lot of that, I mean, when we moved from role to role, those technical skills, you can always learn and improve on it. We can teach people st- stuff like that. But I mean, the core you know, EQ skills that you need to be a leader or to learn and be resourceful. I think that they can carry with you to any, you know, industry, if you will. 100%. Yeah. And I think, I mean, women are resourceful. We know this. <laughs> history. Oh my gosh. Us. History tells us this. Yeah. Right? So it's a pity yes. that we're often not, we're not often seen for those, maybe those softer skills first prior. Anyone can learn technical skills if, you know, you've, if you've got the drive to do it. So that's fantastic. Yeah. And even have that sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and I think even being a mom teaches you <laughs> no, those it. skills, right? The, the resourcefulness. <laughs> I mean, it's survival at the end of the day. But I, I actually had a job interview before I left PwC to go to ATB. I'd interviewed another organization based here in Calgary. And I had mentioned in the interview, somehow it was the third interview, and I was in person. And I mentioned that I had a baby at home. My youngest was, I think, nine months at the time. And they said to me, oh, you have a baby at home? This may not be the right place for you then because we expect our people to work really hard. Yeah, (laughs) that leaves me speechless. There's still, yeah. Yeah, that leaves me speechless. I know, there's still that misconception when when I don't know anyone who works harder than a working mom. I don't know about you. Yeah, exactly. I actually had the complete opposite experience at a nonprofit I was interviewing for to manage an entrepreneurship program. And I'll maybe share a bit too personal of a story here, but I became pregnant with my third and I was not expecting that. 
And it was during the interview process that I found out and I felt I had to share that information. And I don't know why I felt I had to, because I mean, legally I didn't have to, but I did. They made me feel safe enough to do that. And they welcomed me with open arms and I was offered the the role and I took a six month mat leave. My husband took the rest of the paternity leave and we all carried on with life very successfully. The program was successful. There was no gap in service or anything. It was, uh, it, it all worked well, but it's interesting the cultures that we run into as women. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just love that story about having a sponsor and that that existed within PwC for you. That's just yeah. a really great story. I do. I do believe, Bridget, that women are over-mentored and under-sponsored. And I also believe that a lot of women don't fully understand the difference. I have a lot of conversations with women that I mentor myself in regards to what sponsorship looks like as opposed to mentorship. And I think sponsorship needs to be you know, same with mentorship though. I mean, it does have to be a formal conversation in which you're like, here are my goals. Here are what I'm looking for. I actually had a really bright young woman come up to me. I was the keynote speaker at a conference on Sunday and she approached me afterwards. And I just, I, I love everything about what she did. She came up, she mentioned a little bit about what I had spoken about. She brought up some of my past things that she really enjoyed. She talked to me a little bit about her background and formally asked me, would you mentor me? Could I have a half hour of your time once a month where I could bring things to you? And I, I looked at her and she's like relatively young still. I would put her, peg her at 23, 24. And I thought, gosh, you have so much confidence. I don't know at 23 that I would have walked up to a keynote speaker <laughs> and asked her, you know, but, but that's what you have to do. I said, absolutely. Yeah. Like, here's my email. Here's my assistant's email. Get in my calendar. Absolutely do that because we have to find those people that are going to put our hands up for us in rooms when we are not there. Yeah. And that's sponsorship. Wow. Good for her. Let's unpack that a little more. Talk to me more about sponsorship versus mentorship and the differences. Yeah. I think I've been really blessed within throughout my career to have sponsors. And I have found that my sponsors have always been people that have worked really closely with me. So they're aware of the work that I do. They are aware of what I my output can be. And they're aware of my skills. And you know, in, in sponsorship. So I am thinking in particular to a male sponsor of mine within PwC, where, you know, I had approached him and I was like, I'm, I'm interested in moving into consulting. Talk to me about the team. Do you know the team? And, and this man had almost mentored me. I kind of have a board of directors is what I call my own personal board of directors. So I actually have four mentors. They all bring different backgrounds, different experiences, two male, two female, and they're who I go to. And I, I do like having a diverse kind of, you know, group of of people to bounce things off of because they all bring different opinions often into problems that I'm trying to solve. Regardless, I went to this one particular gentleman and, you know, I said, I think I'm really interested. You know that team. What do you think about them? And we sat down, we had a lengthy conversation about where my skills could align. And then I got home that night and I was checking my emails and he had BCC'd me. He had emailed the partner of the team that I was looking to apply for. And he sent an email, probably only took him you know, three minutes out of his day. And he wrote, I just want to let you know that a brilliant young woman will be applying to your team. Here are the reasons that I think that she's fantastic and why she would be an asset to your team. They told me in the interview after that him vouching for me and sponsoring me and putting my hand up to those partners. And it only took him three minutes of his day. That was such a huge lift for me to go over to that team. And so, you know, being open and honest about where my goals are, what I want, 
and 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 finding other people that can help me along the way with that that's that was sponsorship for me and so i have tried throughout my career to to pay it forward in the same way so i actually had a team member at atb who was looking to move into another team i didn't want to lose her cuz she was fantastic but i knew that she actually could really thrive in the other in the other team and so i messaged the hiring manager hey one of my team members is applying i just want to let you know here are her strengths here's why i think she'd be fantastic for it and she got the job and the other hiring manager same thing said to me you know your your email about her was a huge driving force in making that decision. What a powerful takeaway and such a small action to have such great impact. And we might, maybe we'll talk about allyship here later in the conversation, but, but there's an example of living allyship, right? And actually, actually taking mm-hmm. steps to lift each other up, whether you're a woman or a man doing that for, for another woman. Mm. Great story. Okay, well, let's move over to Toast. So you've had this corporate career, you've observed a lot of things yeah. as, as a woman in corporate and having grown your career there. Where and when and how did Toast come about? Yeah, so as I mentioned, my co-founder had been, you know, toying with the idea of Toast for a while. Both her and I had experienced situations where we were hiring and you know, we had these ideas of 50-50 gender parity specifically on technical teams. So my co-founder was running a team in the NLP AI space. And of course I was my last role was in digital product ops, so a lot of data heavy roles. And I would ask the recruiting team, hey, can you ensure to send me I want my candidate pool to be representative of the community that we live in. So send me diverse candidates, please. And then, you know, I would get 50 resumes and two of them were women. I'm like, this is not representative. And she would say to me, no women applied. So April, this is all I've got for you. Women just aren't applying. Well, then look at how you're posting the job posting. Regardless, we became very frustrated with that. So after I left corporate, I took some time off in the summer, hung out with my kids. It was fantastic. And really wanted to ensure that the next role that I took was aligned to my values. Thanks to Brene Brown, I found that one of my core values is making a difference. And so I really wanted to do something, you know, that would be driving that for me. Meanwhile, I'm doing my MBA in corporate social innovation as well. And, and you know, that social innovation piece is how do we drive social impact through large corporations, which is kind of what Toast is. So long story short, my co-founder is at Elevate Conference in Toronto in September. Her and I have had a bunch of time back and forth. We have actually already incorporated Toast and we're like kind of sent it off for branding and we're like, maybe we'll make this a thing off the side of our desk. Not sure if we'll do it full time or not. And have you heard of Allie K. Miller? No, I haven't. So she's like, she's an AI influencer. Oh, she's yes, I have. Her maybe from you. Yes. <laughs> In a previous conversation. <laughs> okay. She's a... She's fantastic. But my co-founder ran into her at the Elevate conference and was borderline stalking her, really (laughs) wanted to run into her at the conference and uh, went up to her and said, hey, listen, we have this idea for Toast. This is what I'm thinking. And Allie physically grabbed her by both shoulders and and shook her and was like, (laughs) you have a really great idea. You need to make this a thing. You just need to go home and do it. And so that day... You know, she called me, told me about the experience she had, and we started our LinkedIn page that day. That was very important. <laughs> we started a LinkedIn page and an Instagram page, and we thought, you know what? Let's just start a wait list and let's see if we can get 
600 women by the end of the year. If we can get 600 women interested, that would be enough market validation that this is something that we really should look yeah. at. So we opened the wait list and just started doing a little bit of marketing. Oh, and Bridget, so we far surpassed our goal. We had over 2,000 wow. women signed up by the end of the year. Wow. Yeah. And you know, now here we are in March. Is it March? It is. <laughs> here we are in March and we've got you know, over 3,500 women in our candidate pool. We have over 30 organizations that are working with us right now. And it truly has been remarkable to see the amount of people that are A, focused on diversity, gender diversity, having these conversations about elevating and retaining women in tech. And I know you and I were both at the same conference this week where we look at 57% of women, mid-level career women in STEM are leaving. So it's not just how we hire, but it's retention as well. So I guess, you know, on the front end, of course, we have a membership where women can come and join Toast and we provide them with, we have an in-house lawyer, we have career coaches, we have in-person meetups, we have workshops on how to navigate severance and, you know, how to bounce back after rejection after you get a no things of the sort and a community of women who go through the same thing where we can go in. One of my favorite parts is we have a, a Slack channel called Audacity Anonymous where you can come in and talk about, you know, the weirdo thing that the devs said to you this week or whatever it, whatever it may be in there or the super offensive thing that someone said to you at work. And then on the back end, we work really closely with organizations that are looking to increase gender diversity and that want to have that candidate pool that is representative of our communities. So, you know, I speak often with our clients and I'll give a, a great shout out to a client of ours that I know you know and love really well as much as I do, but you know, Pascal at Purpose Met is a great example. He'll po he'll come to me and say, April, I put up a posting and I got 300 applicants and six of them are women. Help me, please. Yeah. Because it just, yeah, which is fantastic actually. And they are one of, they're a great client of ours. They were very focused on gender parity. And as we move towards ESG reporting as well, the federal government has mandated um, gender diversity is one of the targets that you can report on starting in 2024. So the tides are turning, people are having conversations about this. And I think it's really important that we focus on, you know, removing the bias in the hiring practice and ensuring that we're, we're high, we have a diverse pool of candidates to pick from. You can't just say, well, only a whole bunch of white men applied. So that's who I picked. Well, then you're not casting your net wide enough. Yeah, exactly. Um, can you speak a little bit more then to the services or what you offer to companies then to your to your company clients? Yeah, absolutely. So we look to position ourselves often as complementary to the existing recruiting team. So we do understand that not every role requires toast assistance. We do see a lot of females still applying to certain roles in tech like UX, UI usually get a diverse pool or even product managers. There's quite a few female product managers right now. But when those sticky roles come up, like Pascal had, where you know you have 300 applicants, six of them are women, we want to be you know, working alongside these organizations to present women to you know, these companies that we actually trust and have Pre-vetted. So with us, we will not work with every organization. We we do only want to work with companies that are focused on gender diversity and diversity in general, and are and you know promote women from within and have flexible work policies and are safe spaces for women to come work. I don't want to send a woman into a bro culture 
you know, grind, hustle, culture, lifestyle that's yeah. not really. And I really don't want to send a woman in to be the first woman on a technical team either so that she ends up building all the presentations and taking meetings. You know, <laughs> right? We've all been asked to do that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. We've been talking about that a lot in the rainforest of not only companies, but individuals who are not necessarily willing or interested in learning, you know, how can we create equity here among genders? And for those who aren't willing to learn and come along for the ride, it's best to just, you know, leave them behind. And for those that, you know, get it and understand even the the return and the the business outcomes that will be increased by mm-hmm. having diversity on your team. Mm-hmm. Like the statistics are all there, yep. yet so many choose to just ignore and keep doing things the same way. Yeah. And yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. This like has me thinking a lot um, around this balance between wanting to continue to educate those who don't want to come along because they're the ones who need the education the most and yeah. just being able to let it go and I know. and move ahead. And that's a hard, I find that's a hard one because with any diversity journey, it is not the job of the marginalized group to educate everyone else around them. And and you and I both know that. And so I find, you know, it's it's difficult. I think that there's small things that we can do, especially at, you know, that can have a bigger impact. So a great example is, you know, when we present candidates at Toast, I mean, I'm definitely sending this recording over to Pascal after, but I'm just going to keep using him as my example. (laughs) But say I present a candidate over to PurposeMed, we actually create candidate profiles. I think that there's a lot of bias in the hiring process and there's a lot of bias in resumes. So when we present a candidate, we remove the name. There's obviously a lot of bias around in people's names. We actually remove their work experience in terms of the names specifically and years that they've worked there. Years obviously introduces bias around age and the name of the company. We're finding with candidates who have foreign work experience, it can be a very, it can really hold them back. So let's say, you know, they came from Helsum, we would say fintech startup as opposed to Helsum. And what we focus on in the work experience is the impact. So did you increase revenue? Did you lead a team of eight people? Whatever. So we, we are looking to, to present a candidate in a way that completely removes that. We also don't name what school they go to. A lot of socioeconomic bias around these schools. And so, you know, moving the dial and, and trying to change these hiring processes, in my opinion, is how we can help create these diverse environments. And I think not all of us recognize the bias that we carry. We all have bias. I don't know if you've ever done the unconscious bias training at Harvard, Bridget, it's online. No. If you haven't done it, I'll send you the link after this. Yes, it is. We'll put shameful. it in the show notes. It is, yes, it is. It is very shameful. I took it myself and I was like, really? I, I still had a bias that was tying women to housework and men to work outside the home. Me, of all people, like running around this raging feminist, if you will. And, and I still had that bias in me. So I think, you know, it's important. And we have these conversations with organizations often where they're like, wait, okay, you sent me this profile, but I want to know more about the candidate. All right. What else can I tell you about the candidate without telling you information that's going to, you know, have some bias carrying in it? They don't need to know more than that to make a decision if they want to interview someone or not. Right. I'm curious then how the corporate partners or the enterprises, how they, how adaptable are they to these new, to these new practices? Yeah, I'm, I'm finding, 
there's some nudging with some people. <laughs> specifically, truthfully, specifically, I'm finding people who have an oil and gas background a little more hesitant to accepting this, you know, but I feel we have we have to have a little bit of nudging in conversations. And we did determine with some roles, you know, director and above level or even VP and above, we are now adding years of experience right. because there are some things that just come with with that. So for some clients, we have done that. You know, people have, have been quite receptive and we do have another client. I'll give them a shout out because I love them. But Cohere AI, before we even came in, their technical teams had already requested that when resumes get sent over by recruiters, that the names were blocked out. They didn't want to know if it was a man or a woman, which I I hugely admire. Yeah, I think absolutely. that that's fantastic. Okay, really interesting. So I'm curious then, and I assume, oh, sorry, this is a bit of a digression, but I have to know why toast? Why the name toast? Mm, it's a little bit of a play on words. So toasting your nine to five goodbyes so that you can come and get a job with toast oh. or... <laughs> Get that bread. Bread being the analogy for getting women paid what they deserve. Yeah. Okay, I like it. I like it. I like yes. it. I've never known. I, I've never known. That's fantastic. Okay, back on track. <laughs> so when we're working with these, when you're working with these corporations, in a way, there's a, you know this education piece. Okay, this is this is how you can hire with without you know having having these biases in the process. Um, are you also then educating around what the benefits are of hiring a more diverse workforce? Do you feel like your kind of corporate clients have that understanding already and that's why they come to you? Or yeah. are you needing to to nudge in that area as well and educate in that area as well? You know, we're finding both. Uh, we do. I have seen some organizations that I find are a little performative, definitely. And you and I have had conversations around this as well. Mm -hmm. And I mean, back to, you know, how do we pull these people along with us? I can't, my husband reminds me often, I cannot save the whole world. I cannot boil <laughs> the ocean. I do, you know, the little bit that I can every day. And so most organizations, I mean, we are very blessed for a startup that has been running for, you know, as long as we have. I really don't have to do a lot of BD, but we have organizations that come straight to us that are that are looking for this, right? And so they they definitely seem to lean on us, ask us really great questions. How can we support women? How can we get our job postings more attractive to women? What kinds of things are we looking for when we're hiring? What kinds of benefit packages do women like? And so we do get to, you know, build these really great relationships with our clients and have that kind of educational piece tacked on as well. And and again, people who are approaching us really are dedicated um, to gender equity. And they know already that diverse teams perform better. They make more money. Like research shows you will make more money with more diverse. And all environments have some level of diversity, of course, diverse you know, thought or experience or culture or whatever it may be. But the more diverse your team, the better you are. Yeah, that irks me both in DEI, but as well as in community practices for business, mm. where all of the, the the statistics are there, the data is there that these all of these types of initiatives point to better business outcomes, and yet C suite continue to ignore some of these really really foundational pieces that can you know lead to better to better business. Yeah. So anyway, glad to see the shift is happening. So you're working in Calgary, of course but elsewhere in the country. Yep, correct? across the country. So we have member meetups and community managers in Victoria, 
Vancouver, oh. Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto, and Ottawa. Really? <laughs> this is why I'm so tired, Bridget. Not <laughs> in saving the world. You have a lot on your plate. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I had no idea that you actually had like community people working in these cities. Yeah. yeah. So like we've, we've yeah, got go some ahead. great community managers set up. We've got members that meet up monthly in, in each of those cities. Edmonton, we're just getting off the ground right now, but member meetups have already okay. happened in all the rest of them so far. Okay, great. I'm curious about this. Are, is, are there, is there a particular geographic geographical area that are more receptive from kind of the, from the hiring side to to um, toast and, and the principles. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it matters, but I'm just yeah, curious. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I'm I'm also thinking like our network. Marissa and I, of course, Marissa lives in Toronto. I live in Calgary. However, oh, okay. Marissa did used to live in Calgary, so our network primarily is in Calgary. So we have had a lot of traction here, which is fantastic. Alberta has been very receptive. But I also think of Ottawa that's having a tech boom. We have three clients already in Ottawa, which has been really interesting, like to see the, you know, the traction that we've been able to get there. Toronto's a tough net to crack, like anytime. It's a, a big beast. But Vancouver as right. well, we've had a lot of traction in Vancouver. And then Victoria too. It's just, you know, tech is, is really booming, it seems to be across the country. And I think tech's one of those things that, you know. It's such a weird little buzzword, but there's technology in each industry. And so we're, we're very blessed that, you know, we've been able to have that impact across the country. Yeah, no kidding. Let's talk a little bit about kind of the broader challenges that women face in tech. The reason that we're starting this series of conversations with women is because at our weekly meetup, Lunch Without Lunch, we had some we had five women in tech join us and i was sharing this with you earlier we jumped immediately into okay what are the challenges that you're facing what does this look like on a daily basis for founders for software developer whoever it might be what are some of those microaggressions or some of those bigger kind of systemic challenges that you're faced with and it was really shocking to hear even though i've heard the stories countless times i've lived the stories but also shocking to see how surprised the general audience was A, at the experiences themselves, but B, at the vulnerability of the women who shared their stories. And I think most of the women that joined us that day are like you and I, we're just, we're done being quiet mm -hmm. and we're done facing, you know, these challenges. With Toast and the work that you're doing, what are some of these unique challenges that you're seeing women running up against? Yeah. I mean, that lonely, only piece and you and I were both at that actually mm. before I get into it I do have to say you sent me a copy of that recording and we should probably link it here on this podcast because okay that conversation you had with those five women were was very a very powerful conversation you should be really proud to get you know that many women together to be vulnerable about a topic that is very tough you know um mm -hmm. and it's real mm -hmm. for us real I, I find a lot of the challenges that I hear from women, you know, are around and, and that video that um, they played at the Connector conference this week about being the lonely only and not wanting to be, you know, the first woman or the only woman and which I've been before and I and I've been very proud. Oh my God, I'm the first woman like, to get this role. This is really exciting that I'm pioneering this. And then you get there and you're surrounded by mediocre white males and it's like, oh, this is why I'm the only woman that's been able to do this. There's not support systems set up. And again, very hard to navigate 
within an organization when you don't really have mentorship and you don't have other women around you. And when, you know, there's this disproportionate amount of men in this industry, when we've got women who are holding 65% of STEM degrees Mm -hmm. in 2020, and yet we're still only representative of between seven and 22% of the industry, depending where in the country you are, it's, it's really tough. And and again, you and I are both mothers, and I'll take it back to being a mom. There's such a unique set of challenges you have when you're trying to balance your home and your family and that invisible mother load that we carry. And I, I bring it up often to my partner, you know, do you know that, did you check if the kids' boots still fit them this winter? Do you know, you know, that your parents' birthday is coming up? Did you buy a birthday present for that birthday that we have next weekend? Do you know your mom wants a great cardigan with no buttons for Christmas this year? Like all of these things yes. that we carry in our brains as moms exactly. that we carry every day on top of, you know, trying to be high performers at work and having to navigate these conversations that aren't tailored towards women because we're surrounded by men and then men also expecting us to teach them how to show up for us, it's exhausting. And so I'm finding that women are, are gravitating towards and the women that we get at Toast that are, you know, signed up on our website, they're, they want to become a candidate. They want to find a workplace where they're not the lonely only. They want to go somewhere where people are striving for gender parity. They don't want to have to explain to others what kind of supports they need. They expect an organization to do that research themselves and educate themselves on how can we show up for women? How can we create a space that's psychologically safe for women and moms to come here? Yeah. Isn't that the dream? (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that the dream? (laughs) If you go work somewhere, you know, where there are other, there are supports set up for women, whether it's through mentorship programs or flexible work policies, or, you know, Imagine the difference between working in a place where you're surrounded by men and no one else is a woman and your kid's sick that day, you know, having to have that conversation, yeah. you know, with your boss, way less understanding than when you're on a team with 50-50 gender parity or even like 70-30 to be like, my kid's sick. It's, people are a lot more understanding when you're not the lonely only. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Childcare and this topic of being a mother and being a high performer, it's, uh, it's certainly not talked about enough Mm-mm. and, and not recognized enough. How many phone calls do we have to make or emails we do we have to send in order to ensure our kids have childcare in order for us to attend a, a 4 PM event or a 6 PM mm-hmm. event or, or, you know, something like that. Not to say my husband doesn't either. He certainly yeah. His share in my household, but it is an entirely other job and it is exhausting. Yeah. Um, I mean, motherhood and so many, so many other, other things. What advice then maybe if we were to kind of wrap up the conversation and uh, around, you know, the challenges women face, what advice would you give to women? And I think we all have a bit of this fear and some of us have the privilege of being bolder and uh, yeah. other than others. What advice would you give to women who potentially, you know, fear the repercussions of standing up for themselves in situations at work or otherwise, but, you know, who are also tired of facing these adversities day day in and day out? What advice would you give to them? I don't know what my answer would be to this. I'm putting you really on the spot here, but... You know what your answer would be, (laughs) did you say? I don't. No, I I don't. Because I, I do know specifically in rainforest, and it's part of the reason I hang on to the rainforest all the time. Part of our social contract is we are transparent and we call out the elephant in the room. 
And I, I love that. I, I have that privilege specifically in this role to have these honest conversations without specific repercussions, you know, to, to my role in the community, because that's what we do here. But that is not the case. And I'm, I'm hyper aware of that for so many women in the workplace yeah. where they can't necessarily stand up well, boldly and, without that fear. Yeah. And in your body as well, right? So in, in your, obviously in your position that you're in, in a leadership mm-hmm. position or within the organization that you're in. But I also recognize the privilege I have as a white woman where mm-hmm. I have that privilege of standing up without as many fear repercussions as, you know, my friends who are of color who don't feel that they have that same privilege to speak up. And so I'm really glad you touched on that because that's a really important piece on it. Not everyone feels comfortable enough to stand up and ask for these accommodations. And to that, you know, I would say this is where sponsorship and mentorship is so incredibly important. And Mm -hmm. my life changed when I you know, really focused on on building that board of directors around me. There's a really great Harvard Business Review article that states and had they had done some research around women who had circles outside of their workplaces. And so, you know, I when I searched for that myself, I went to Young Women in Business Calgary. I was vice president for a little while. I was the city director of another organization. And so, you know, finding the, this group of women where, A, I could talk about the struggles I was having at work. I could talk about salary transparently. I actually doubled my salary once I surrounded myself with women where I could understand what I was worth. Wow. And so, you know, having that mentorship and sponsorship, even for people when I was, you know, facing a lot of headwinds at PwC to have a sponsor and a mentor be like, then leave, you can leave. And it's like, oh yeah, I can leave. I forgot. <laughs> like, I've been here so long. I forgot that, you know, that's facing these adversities. There's so much power. We've seen it in different ways, but there's so much power in simply saying me too. And so finding women and finding a community like Toast or, you know, what we have, so, we're so blessed in Calgary that I think that there's so many resources and communities out there for women. I would highly recommend finding women that are like you, that can say me too, that you can bounce these things off of because you may not always have that safety at your workplace. Yeah, great point. And a great way to wrap it up. April, I'm just so thrilled that this is how we got to start this series on women in Alberta tech. And we're thrilled to have Toast as part of the community now and being a voice for for women and being a channel for for companies to embrace diversity and, and better practices around hiring. So Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I guess my one call out would be for women who are looking for roles within great organizations to go to our website, Mm -hmm. to go to tritoast.ca, to click on that candidate button and to fill out their profiles. Doesn't cost anything, takes a minute. Um, and add themselves to our talent pool so that we can reach out if any great roles come up. Absolutely. Such a great resource. Fantastic. Okay. Thanks, April. Thanks, Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Bye. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social-barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. 
This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. Going beyond creating custom software solutions, NIM is dedicated to making a positive impact on society, providing opportunities for new software developers to gain real-world experience and contribute to meaningful projects. You get quality, affordable solutions at the same time you're supporting the growth and development of the next generation of skilled talent. Visit newideamachine.com for more info. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>